Welcome in to News and Views with Tom Lamprecht. The stories you've heard and the ones you need to hear. If you're fully vaccinated and you're outdoors. The science shows. You no longer need to wear a mask. A wide open border. Continue to get worse. We want to send a clear message. We are welcoming refugees. John Kerry. Gave away classified information from a trusted ally. 100 days. First 100 days have left much to be desired. Your life, your values, your voice. This is News and Views with Tom Lamprecht on Talk 96.3 and 103.7. All right, welcome in. And the eyes of the world are on uh, eastern North Carolina, specifically uh, Elizabeth City, which um, the news continues to uh, become a little clearer as time goes on. Uh, WITN News is reporting a curfew went into effect at Elizabeth City at 8 p.m. Tuesday night. There were several people that were arrested because they did not obey the curfew laws, but they didn't burn the place down. Uh, you know, and I saw different reports. Uh, in fact, our producer was texting us information last night uh, after we went off the air. But it sounded like there was uh, perhaps busloads of people that were uh, brought into Elizabeth City. I didn't see much follow-up on that, but, um, but that, that would find... Uh, some logic. I mean, that's how they that's how they operate. I mean, they they brought in last summer. They brought in a couple of busloads to Greenville, so that wouldn't that wouldn't shock me. And what was it? Uh, Fifteen or twenty people they arrested? I think. Uh, I Something. saw different numbers. Uh, I saw there was fifteen or twenty people. Several dozen remained on the streets after the curfew, but the actual number that were arrested, I saw six or seven, as far as actual number that were arrested. But I, I'm sure, depending on what media outlet you look at, the number is probably going to vary a little bit. You know, I, I hate to Monday morning quarterback the officials up there, but Elizabeth City, I disagree with the curfew last night. Uh, I mean, let's give Elizabeth City credit. The The protests have been peaceful. And, you know, I just – and, two, they're really disturbing the, the public or, or preventing people from moving around the city, uh, you know, and, and disturbing the peace. You know, let them protest peace, peacefully. But um, th- thank God nothing happened. First and Freedom Daily is reporting the SBI has already owned the case. Governor Roy Cooper has now called for a special prosecutor. <laughs> Despite the activist tantrum, the judge, uh, uh, Judge Jeff Foster, who Benny and I both are familiar with Judge Foster, good guy. Let me say, we were talking before we went on the air, when this was going uh, out, you had a lot, you know how you have the comments on the news stories where people write in their comments about uh, what they think concerning a particular news story. Let me just say, Jeff Foster is an honorable man of godly character who will do the next right thing. Uh, He will seek justice. And these people that are immediately jumping to conclusion and uh, insinuating that he's not being fair, that he's some sort of a bigot because he did not uh, make a judgment along the lines of how the family wanted it to turn out. Uh, And by the way, the DA, uh, Womble, up there, wanted to see the videos released, as did the attorney representing the sheriff's office wanted the videos to be released, which would would tell me that there must be expulsion. What's the word I'm looking for? Uh, there must be evidence that evidence. that uh, ex- <laughs> exculpatory. Ex- thank you. Evidence that uh, sometimes it just doesn't come out. Evidence that uh, these guys are innocent. Yeah, you know, I, I I wish the 
I wish all the politicians and, and the, the pundits on TV would just sit back. And, and I hear comments like, well, they did this in Ohio. They did this in Minnesota. That doesn't have anything to do with right. the price of eggs in right. North Carolina law. Right. I think they just need to follow law. And, and getting back to Roy Cooper calling for a special prosecutor. Benny and I were talking before we went on the air. If you're going if, if to jump in before anything is done, there, there's no proof that any improprieties have taken place at this point. No. And, and basically he is saying for, for the governor— and you pointed out before the program, the governor who who knows better. He's a lawyer. He's a lawyer. For him to jump lawyer. in, for him to jump in, and insinuate that law enforcement, the judicial system, our whole system of justice is is corrupt, and so therefore I am immediately going to call for a special prosecutor to get involved in this case. Well, I mean, this this case is in its infancy. There's nothing that has come out that would suggest that there's any improprieties that have taken place, and yet Cooper jumps to this, which is just throwing gasoline on the fire. A- absolutely. And, he, and by saying that, he is saying that the district attorney cannot be impartial. Number one, the district attorney does not report to the sheriff's department. He does not report to any, any official in the county or the city. I mean, he's elected by the people, number one, and he swears an oath to uphold the law, and he's got an oath of office as district attorney. So for, for Roy Cooper to come out and say that, you're saying, okay, we cannot trust a district attorney to yeah. separate himself from the law. If I was a district attorney, I'd be absolutely ticked off. I won't use another word that I can't use on air, but um, I, Roy Cooper should be ashamed of himself. And, Roy, if you're listening, you should be ashamed of yourself as a lawyer, number one. So there were two things that were brought before Judge Foster. There was a, um, a, a, they were asking the court, the media came up and asked the court, please release these videos to the media, and which Judge Foster came out and said no. And in fact, they basically said, look, you, you, the media doesn't even have a standing in this. Why, why would I even consider that? Um, but he also requested that, uh, there was another request, I should say, uh, before Judge Foster uh, concerning the video, I, I, I recorded this response. I'm going to play it for you, but I, I, I do want to say it is in context, okay? But I, it was about a five-minute uh, piece that I've edited down to about two minutes and 30 seconds. I, I, I just want to say up front that I, it has been edited for length, but the context is intact. Here's Jeff Foster from earlier today, Superior Court Judge Jeff Foster. With regard to 21 CVS 261, the uh, petition of the Pasquotank Sheriff's Department to release uh, records to Khalil Faraby, who is the adult son of the deceased Mr. Brown. The court finds that, number one, the release is a compelling public interest. Number two, that the recording contains information that is otherwise confidential or exempt from disclosure or released under state or federal law. Number three, the person requesting release is, seek, is seeking to obtain evidence to determine legal issues in a current or potential court proceeding. But number four, the court finds that release would reveal information regarding a person that is of a highly sensitive personal nature. The court finds, number five, that the release may harm the reputation or jeopardize the safety of a person by release. Number six, that the release at this time would create a serious threat to the fair, impartial, and orderly administration of justice. Number seven, confidentiality is necessary to protect an, uh, either an active internal or criminal investigation or a potential internal or criminal investigation. Based on those findings, compending completion of the investigation, 
uh, and any decision regarding the uh, prosecution of the potential defendant, the court orders as follows. That the five body camera videos be disclosed to Khalil Farabee and his immediate family within one degree of kinship and one attorney licensed to practice law in the state of North Carolina. That is disclosure. That the video be held from release for a period of no less than 30 days and no more than 45 days to allow completion of any investigation being undertaken by the SBI and by the district attorney's office in this county. Uh, number three, that the state is to notify the court when such investigation is completed and the court in its discretion will consider at that time further release of the video based on the factors as they exist at that time. The disclosure of the video shall occur within 10 days and the Pasquotank County Sheriff's Department is ordered to blur or redact all facial and identifying features of the officers shown prior to disclosure. That means facial features, name tags, any identifying information of those officers prior to disclosure. The court in its final order in this matter will specify the time frames within which the video may be disclosed. In viewing the video, there were certain uh, portions of the video that were uh, conversations between officers, between superiors. Uh, I'm going to evaluate those videos, determine which portions are appropriate for release and, uh, or for disclosure, I'm sorry. And then we'll uh, provide that in my order so that the videos can be properly prepared to be disclosed to the family. All that uh, to be accomplished within the next 10 days. So that was Superior Court Judge Jeff Foster who made his ruling today concerning the videos. In essence, the family can see them in 10 days after certain uh, video features are redacted. And then um, as far as them being released to the public, uh, once the state comes back and says, okay, you can go ahead and and release those perhaps in 30 days, then uh, there's a possibility that they'll be released. The court will reconsider it at that point. What's interesting about this is, again, as I mentioned at the top of the program, District Attorney Andrew Womble as well as the attorney representing the sheriff's department, both of them have come out and said, this video shows that the deputies acted properly. Uh, it's interesting, the, uh, representative, the attorneys representing the family, uh, and one of those attorneys, um, a, a woman by the name of uh, Cherry Lassiter, said she took three pages of notes as she watched the video several times. So she, along with the family, got to see that 20-second clip, argued it depicted, quote, an execution as Brown had his hands on the steering wheel and was not threatening deputies as he was fired upon. Quote, let's be clear, this is an execution. Andrew Brown was in the driveway. The sheriff's truck blocked him in the driveway so he could not exit his driveway. She said at the press conference, Andrew had his hands on the steering wheel. He was not reaching for anything. He was not touching anything. He was not throwing anything around. He had his hands firmly on the steering wheel. Well, guess what? Today, District Attorney Andrew Womble would probably agree with that assessment. He had his hands on the steering wheel. The problem is he also had his foot on the gas. And this district attorney made it very clear that and, uh, and again, this is this is the district attorney Andrew Womble, and look, he doesn't have a dog in this fight. I mean, he if if wrongdoing was going is is there, he's going to go after the deputies. He doesn't represent the sheriff department. No, he represents the citizens of of his area that he was elected. To and he has come law. out and said 
that Andrew Brown Jr. attempted to run over the deputies. Mm-hmm. First, he put it in reverse, tried to run over them and in reverse, and then he put it in forward and tried to run them over then. Now, uh, the, the, the uh, family's attorneys have come out and said, oh, you know, there was nothing done. They started shooting before he even moved his car, and they kept shooting afterwards. And you know, this narrative that is execution, it's, it's, it's beyond the pale— and look, I, again, I don't know who's innocent and who's guilty. But if these people, if these attorneys are putting out a false narrative like this, they need to be disbarred. They need to be disbarred. I mean, this is, I mean, you're talking about fanning the flames of a fire and pouring gasoline on it, where literally we have seen cities burned to the ground. Yep. And the idea that we're going to go out and throw out this kind of rhetoric, and, and again, you know what? If 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 they're correct, I I will uh, I will apologize. I'm not saying they're incorrect or correct. I'm saying if they are skewing the facts to try to <laughs> look. I, I'm sorry, but this guy Crump is nothing but a high dollar ambulance chaser that is going after these kind of situations, trying to line his pocket. Here's the other thing that we were talking about before the program went on. Um, never take, take a wild guess at who they've asked to come down. The family, the quote, the family has asked to come down to do the eulogy at the funeral, which is supposed to take place, place next week. Uh, none other than the chief race baiter, Al Sharpton, will come down. And, Betty, you made a great point. <laughs> we were talking about this before we went on the air. Did Ben Crump tell him, we'll, we'll go ahead and cut you a check because this will help our narrative? You know, they're saying the family asked them. Uh, relative Lee Farabee asked Brown's family. Because, now, get this. They asked, according to this story on WITN, they asked Sharpton to, del- to deliver the eulogy because they felt the civil rights leader would, quote, honor his legacy. <laughs> what legacy? I, I obviously, this is just pure speculation on my part, but uh, I think it's a good speculation. I guarantee you, Ben Crump paid for the plane ticket. Yeah, he, he and he will be getting the check later in the week. Yeah, for his participation in this. I, it, you know, uh, I mean, a prime example, Ben Crump. You know, we talked about maybe yesterday. He deleted his tweet about the Ohio shooting. Right. Once the video surfaced, and 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 it, if Ben Crump really cared, you think he would be in Ohio? He would have been in Ohio last week. He didn't there because there was no there there. No. But he thinks there's well, some there here. Which yeah. There means dollars. That's what it Bingo. means to him. But legacy? You're going to honor his legacy? The guy had a rap sheet that would fill a binder three inches thick. He was a meth and cocaine dealer. And well, and Al Sharpton's going to come in and honor his legacy. Well, but you know, back to uh, the district attorney Andrew Wommel. I wish we had his tape. I tried to find it. I listened to it live. I think you did too. We couldn't find where where anyone's the recorded it. I'm sure it's out there to come. Recorded him out, but uh, I mean, he was pretty pretty specific. He said at no time was there any shots fired before Andrew Brown went in reverse, came in contact with officers, made contact with officers. Made made in contact with officers going forward. Going forward, so so basically, he said he, they run into officers twice before any shot was fired, and that was clear on the tape. Yeah. So I mean that that's that, that's no opinion difference between and him and uh, what Chantel Lasseter. That that's either 
somebody's either being dishonest or somebody's not yeah. being dishonest. Yeah. I mean, it's a total 180 degrees apart. Yeah. I mean, yeah. it's it's not like, oh, the two different perspectives of the same narrative. Two extremely different narratives. And I don't think you can use the defense, well, he was trying to get away. <laughs> I don't think you can use that. Well, their there <laughs> defense is he was trying to get his uh, get away and his hands were on the steering wheel. Yeah. Well, and, the problem with those things are uh, both of them do not negate the narrative that he was also trying to run over deputies at the time. I mean, it, quite frankly, it, 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 if, if that's your narrative, well, that, that does coincide with what the uh, District Attorney Womble is saying. 561-8255, love to hear from you. We'll be right back. Join the show. 252-561-TALK. News and views on Talk 96.3 and 103.7. Welcome back in. Taking a real quick look at your weather forecast. Looks pretty good for the next couple of days. Tonight, clear, low around 64. Thursday, mostly sunny with a high near 89. It is going to be windy over the next 24 hours. Gusty, anyway. Let's put it that way. Tomorrow night, partly cloudy, a low around 68. Friday, a slight chance of showers in the afternoon, only a 20%. Otherwise, Sunshine with a high near 83, and then it cools down just a tad for the weekend. But overall, it's going to be pretty nice. 561-8255, talking about the situation up in Elizabeth City. We've got Josh from Bath on the line. Hey, Josh. Hey, Josh. Hey there, Tom. Hey, Benny. Um, I've actually lived up in Elizabeth City for a while, and uh, I can tell you without a doubt, not a block or two away from where we were was a drug house basically a fortified house that they use to store product ammunition guns and and gang members uh, at any given time now the city's gotten a little bit better but there is no way in the world they can make out that this was an innocent situation and he's the victim here I, i feel like they have no leg to stand on on this and why in the world they can't release the video to be able to prove that, but even if they did, not that anybody would believe it. It's it's almost as bad as what they're doing to Giuliani right now. Oh yeah, we've got that story too. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's I, it's um, their I narrative. Don't think I don't think that if Trump had done anything even close to that, that level of persecution, not even prosecution, they would have screamed to high heavens. And yet, what are they doing? They're putting everybody, every person, conservative, Republican person, on a hit list and trying to take them out one by one. If you're not familiar with what Josh is referring to, federal agents today raided the apartment in New York City of Rudy Giuliani. And basically, they're they're saying that um, he was lobbying on the behalf of Donald Trump uh, or the Trump campaign without registering as a lobbyist. And so there were, and again, this is just this is a showpiece. Uh, they're going after Rudy Giuliani, trying to make a big deal out of it. it. It once again shows you how the left will go out of their way to use federal agencies for their own political ends. You saw Barack Obama do this with the IRS. You saw him do it with the FBI and James Comey against the Donald Trump campaign and Michael Flynn. And now they're trying to do it again against Rudy Giuliani. I mean, why are they not going after, with all the news yesterday about John Kerry, why aren't they raiding his home? Why didn't they ever go after Hunter Biden or James Biden or or, or Joe Biden, for that matter, or Hillary Clinton? It's, it's amazing how there is such a double standard, and it's amazing how these lefties will 
gladly abuse their power. And I, I guess the FBI must be willing participants to go ahead and follow through and, and raid Giuliani's home. Yeah, and according to Fox News, um, Mayor Giuliani's attorney, Robert Costello, said there were seven FBI agents that basically raided his home. Took all his computers, cell phones, anything that they might find evident that they think they might have evidence. I on. mean, is that really necessary? A former federal po- prosecutor, mm-hmm. former mayor of New York. What's well, a show? You've got a Yeah. And I, I wonder. Not, not to mention, not to mention, he has at multiple times said through his attorney or even in person that he was willing to come in and do any number and any length of interviews with the FBI. And what did they do? They turned him down every time because it did not fit their narrative. Yeah. Well, it's the same game the FBI played with uh, Paul Manafort. Now, you know, I think Paul Manafort's kind of a bad guy, but but I don't think he was. <laughs> but they, they didn't need to have the raid on his home and, like they and, did. And Roger Stone both. I mean, they treated him like, uh, you know, it's Pablo Escobar or something yeah. and a drug raid or something. It's ridiculous. The raid on Giuliani was first reported by the New York Times, comes under as federal authorities were investigating whether Giuliani violated the law by lobbying the Trump administration on behalf of Ukrainian officials in 2019. Giuliani served as a former president's personal attorney on a number of high-profile matters. Ukrainian officials lobbying on the behalf of Ukraine. But they do nothing on Hunter Biden. (laughs) I mean, it's laughable. And anybody that follows the news knows it's laughable. But yet, and, 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 the, and the mainstream media are willing accomplices. Well, and you had FBI officials that uh, knowingly took a falsified uh, FISA court, court request you know, to get try to dig up Trump on uh, yeah. information on the Trump lying about it. Lying about it. They knew it was a lie. And no investigation, no right. charges. Why, yeah, why, why aren't we invested? Why don't we raid the home of James Comey? Yeah. That's one guy I would love to see go to jail is James Comey. Well, He's a tall guy, but I don't think he'd fare too well. <laughs> <laughs> he wouldn't fit in the bunk. <laughs> oh, my. Hey, Josh, thanks for the call. Anything else? Thanks, guys. Yeah, no, man. That's all I've got for you today. I uh, appreciate it. Thanks, thanks for the call. 561-8255 if you want to join us. The... Um, Emperor of North Carolina, Roy Cooper, a.k.a. Barney Fife, decreed today that he will lift the mandate on masks for people outside, but the indoor mandate will remain at least until June the 1st. John Trump, writing for the Carolina Journal, took the emperor to task, saying North Carolina's COVID-19 restrictions are arguably the most stringent among southern states, even as numbers, hospitalizations, deaths, infections have fallen or at least plateaued across the board. The CDC issued guidelines a day earlier removing the mask mandate for outdoors. I guess it'd be hard for him to make you continue to wear the outdoor masks since the CDC said you didn't have to. Cooper continues to change the rules, hanging to a series of executive orders dating back to more than a year. First, he talked about flattening the curve so as not to overburden hospitals. Then he spoke of waiting for a vaccine. Both those things have already happened. Some 49% of North Carolinians, 18 and older, have gotten at least one dose of the vaccine. 40% are fully vaccinated. Now, he said Wednesday, he doesn't plan on further easing restrictions until two-thirds of the state residents are vaccinated. Well, here's a question. Has it been approved for kids yet? (laughs) Yeah. And how many kids under the age of 18 make up a third? I mean, really? 
I mean, is is it possible that we could get to where he wants? I don't think it is. Yeah, I mean, what authority does he have to to make two thirds of the population get vaccinated? You know, I mean, wow, unbelievable. It may, it may never happen. I mean, to your point, I think you're saying that hey, two thirds may never happen. No. <laughs> and and are are you going to include in those two thirds? You going to count the people that have actually got immunization through having COVID? Yeah, the whole the whole the whole mass police. Um, I I don't fault people, citizens, because there's been so much misinformation, fear fear mongering by by really one party um, and health officials, misinformation, uh, inconsistent information. I don't fault people that you know, if they want to wear them. My gosh, if they want to wear them in the shower at home by themselves, yeah, I don't care. I don't care, but don't and, make me and. And I try to follow the rules, and I try to not make people feel uncomfortable. But this this ma- this mask, it's a, the it's, mask it, Nazis. The ma- it's a joke. It's virtue signaling. I huh. mean, Clark and I can talk about at the Trump rally in October. We saw all the national news media, local news media. None and, of them have masks. And I won't get specific of which local news media, but they begin with a W. They're call signs. So <laughs> anyway, you can figure that out. But all of them, when no one was watching, when the cameras were not on, they were as maskless as I was. Just as soon as the cameras started rolling, they have to properly fit their mask. Yeah. And, and I still play. have pictures, too. Yeah. Yeah. And play the whole game of, hey, let's, let's do a little virtue signaling. There you go. There you go. Emperor, Emperor uh, Cooper, Emperor Fife, uh, he's, he's made his uh, motions known. Uh, you know, it's, it's interesting because there's another piece in the Carolina Journal they did an interview with Brad Crone, who was a Democrat consultant. Brad's a good guy. I've had him on the program before. It's been a while. But he's a, he's a good guy. He's a level-headed guy. And uh, he, he knows politics. He is, sure. he is saying that there is an active effort to recruit deer in the headlights Dr. Mandy Cohen to run for Burr's seat as a Democrat. And, you know, of course, she is the current secretary of the North Carolina Department of Health and Consumer Services, you know, tied to the hip of uh, Cooper. Uh, she was also, by the way, uh, very involved in Obama's um, Obamacare, the Affordable Care Act. As mm-hmm. he, he, she was an advisor to that. But Brad says she would be a competitive force. She has instant name recognition. She's been a top lieutenant to, to Cooper and could tap into his base of support. She would be considered a more moderate candidate that could compete well in North Carolina's more rural areas. But, Brad, that might be so, but she's also somewhat polarizing as she is the face of these weekly authoritarian COVID mandate sessions. And I, I don't think people will, will look at Mandy Deer in the headlights Cohen. And says so she gives me uh, she gives me good vibrations. You look at you look at her on these these weekly get-togethers, and uh, here's another month of us having to live under the iron fist of Emperor Cooper. And and you're like his first lieutenant. Well, you know, name recognition is a big. I mean, that's a big thing when you cover a whole state. Yeah. And we always have to remind ourselves, um, people in metro areas are pretty demo- Democrat voters, and you know they. The, the the state news media and national news media has put her up like a hero for the oh, last yeah. year. It's kind of you know she's the North Carolina's Fauci. They, you know they make it like she's the smartest person on the planet and can do no oh, wrong yeah. and say no wrong. And this is the same person that said you know 
pretty late in the game about why are, why are gyms being closed. Well, you know, it's all the sweat. <laughs> well, the CDC did not say that was an issue. No. So, uh, I don't know. I still – it, it could be between her and um, – the Supreme Court, uh, Beasley, Beasley could be between. Yeah. I mean, uh, it, they, they, they both have uh, the the best name recognition, no doubt. Yeah. Uh, now, Erica Smith, who ran last time, might have some, but uh, uh, I would. Yes, I don't think she has a chance. Um, it, it you'll start see the more you start see national news stories. I mean, you saw that with uh, Beasley yesterday or day before yesterday. You'll start if you start to see stories trickle out nationally about Cohen. <laughs> That's, oh yeah, that means the, oh, money, they, the money's oh, yeah. going that way, yeah. and, 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 and and if if you know, she's probably also. I mean, she's been. I I, I, I guess this is a compliment, but I wouldn't want it on my uh, resume. She has been a a good uh, lieutenant, and she has followed directions. You know, she has uh, stepped in line, followed in lockstep, done everything that the uh, superiors have told her to do, and uh, maybe this is a reward. Yeah, I just don't see her. Um, I mean, and, and I'm not saying I could, but I I just don't see her being a campaigner and being successful yeah, campaigner. I, I would agree with that. Uh, this this is going to be a race that is going to be one for the ages. Whoever, whoever the two um, now on the Republican side today, Ted Budd announced that he's mm-hmm. going to run, which is really interesting because if you listen to the interview we had with Mark Walker on Monday, I asked him about that, that you know, Ted Budd looks like he might, and, and Mark acknowledged that that was uh, a real possibility, that he had heard that. And by the way, Mark Walker was very gracious. He welcomed him into the campaign. But what's interesting about this is Mark Walker and Ted Budd were basically, when they redid the district, I think it was District 6, they ended up sort of having this combined district. Right. Yeah. And um, Mark went to Ted. And at the time, I think Ted was in his second term. Mark was in his third term. He went to Ted and said, I'll tell you what, I'm thinking about running for Burr's seat next time. And he said that he, at that point, it was just speculation that Burr would not run for reelection. But he said he would run anyway. So he went to, he went to Ted Budd and said, you run for re-election, I'm going to step out, and I'm going to focus on the Senate seat. And uh, so it's, uh, again, Mark Walker was very gracious in this uh, write-up in the News and Observer today. But it is very interesting that uh, he, he took the bullet for Ted Budd, and now Ted Budd has jumped into this race. Uh, Ted Budd is a solid conservative. I, I think is uh, by trade he owned a gun shop. He just got a gun shop, from what I understand. And uh, he also uh, very vehemently came out, and uh, those those states that were questionable, he did not uh, vote to confirm those uh, results from the Electoral College in those questionable states. Club for Growth got behind his 2016 election with $500,000. They also got behind his uh, re-election in 2018-2020. So Club for Growth, their pack, uh, and they came out and said some nice nice things. I, I don't know that they came out and actually endorsed him today, but it, they, they all but endorsed him. Uh, he's also uh, very close with um, uh, Meadows, and uh, Trump has said some real nice things about him. So... Uh, it's going to be an interesting race. I, you know, I, who's who's more conservative? I think Mark Walker and uh, Ted Budd are both very, very conservative. 
you know, from from what I have seen in the two candidates right now, either one of them would would look really really good as compared to uh, Richard Burr. Yeah, and the interesting thing about these primaries is, you know, you know, you have to get noticed. Number one, you you can't be called a rhino if you're in the Republican Party. But then that type of person, if you get too far to that other side on, from a conservative, I mean, he's going to struggle in the general yeah. election. So it's uh, – yeah. I think both uh, – I mean, heck, they may win. I think both Walker and Bud will make some noise in the primary. Um, but I, you still, I, I, you could, still I, could, think... I could see Walker you know, doing well in the general election, but I, I just don't see yeah. Bud. I don't see Bud doing well in the general election. Interesting. Yeah, uh, the, the entire state is a lot bigger than just District Six. Yeah, in that area, uh, whether well, whether well, both from the general same yeah. area. Yeah, but, that's what they were both in the same. But ended up in in. I don't know if they're in the exact same district, but they were basically districted together. But I know that specific area where Ted Bud lives, and man, conservative, it's big time conservative, big time. Hey, look, we got to take another time out. Love to hear from you. Five six one eight two five five. We'll be right back. when the news will break. But leave us on, and you will. I think we want to see more details right now. On Talk 96.3 and 103.7. Welcome back in. 16 minutes before the top of the hour. Well, I've got to eat my hat. Once in a while, just once in a while, I get it wrong. Now, you know, we were talking yesterday about the Arizona recount and mentioned that Napolitano appointed the judge that was taking over that case. The previous judge recused, recused himself because one of the attorneys had previously worked in his office as an intern, I believe it was. And so um, there was a new judge that took over that case. And again, that judge was appointed by Napolitano. Giving the um, questionable appointment, I I. I Basically figured, well, here we go again, <laughs> and uh, this will be judicial activism. I've got some good news for you. Uh, this out of the Epic Times, an Arizona judge today rejected an attempt by Arizona Democratic Party to immediately halt an audit of the 2020 election going on in the state's largest county. Maricopa County Superior Court Judge Daniel Martin said Democrats did not provide substantive evidence of any breaches or threatened breaches of voter privacy. The lawsuit filed just before the audit started last week may ultimately succeed, the judge added, but it fell short of the strong likelihood of a succeeding 
the standard required for a temporary restraining order. Martin said he could also not say that the balance of hardship in the case or public policy favors the plaintiffs. Arizona Democrats must now decide whether to seek a review of the ruling from a higher court or to advance it to an evidentiary hearing to try to make their case for an injunction. You know, this is really interesting. If they were going to go out of their way to make sure that this audit did not take place. I mean, at this point, they've lost it on the first level. Are they going to appeal it? Are they going to ask for a uh, evidentiary hearing? I mean, this is, why are they so scared if they won the election? Right. Well, obviously, whatever happens, the results of the election are not going to change. But the American people need to know if there were errors and irregularities, they they need to know it. And they need to know going forward what can the state legislatures do to pre- prevent this from happening again. Oh. And uh, there was too much smoke in Arizona for not so oh, yeah. What what was the final difference? It was less than ten thousand, wasn't it? There was about yeah. ten thousand. Mm-hmm. And the first, let's see, is only I think there's only been two Republicans. Um, not excuse me, two non-Republicans, including Joe Biden, to win that county ever. Really? <laughs> yeah. Really. So it's uh, this I, is really going to be interesting, and. You know, will the wheels fall off the cart for the Democrats if mm. this uh, if this comes out? You know, it's interesting too. I tell you what, let's take a let's take a quick break. Uh, there's a there was an interview that James Carville did recently with the uh, Vox, and uh, he made one statement in this interview that is uh, rather striking. It, it wasn't the it wasn't the crux of the interview, but it still it caught my attention. I'll share that with you when we get back. This is your Drive at 5, an ENC with Tom Lamprecht. Welcome back to News and Views on Talk 96.3 and 103.7. Welcome back in. Tom, Clark, and Benny with you. And uh, this just in from WITN, House Majority Leader John Bell has issued a press release, just came off just in the last couple of minutes. The North Carolina House of Representatives passed the Kickoff College Sports Act today. Now, this is really interesting because this bypasses the governor's veto. It would allow outdoor college football stadiums to open at 100% capacity, according to a release from John Bell. According to Bell, the bill, which passed 77 to 42, would apply to public and private colleges. Now, this is why it's going to not, the governor can't veto it because they're basically local bills. It applies to Cumberland, Durham, Forsyth, Guilford, Harnett, Jackson, Mecklenburg, Orange, Pasquotank, Pitt, Robeson, Wake, and Watauga counties. So since this is a local bill, the governor can't veto it. So this is really going to because you know part of the part of the deal today, uh, the governor came out and said, well, mass gatherings can have two hundred people. Now I don't think that applied to sporting events, but uh, nonetheless, uh, this is sort of uh, in your face, Gov. Yeah, I guess his current executive order for sporting events, <clears throat> well, it has something to do with the capacity. Is it thirty percent of yeah, capacity 30% or something? Capacity, I believe. Yeah. So anyway, now you know it's really going to be interesting. Now that they have passed this, and he can't veto it, you watch, you watch. I will predict that the governor will come out and pronounce that it's okay for 100 percent capacity for out, outdoor store, well, sporting I, events i think they're floating it out there saying hey governor you've got to you've got to cancel this if you want to and then 
Hager. But he can't. He can't veto it. Yeah. Well, he can't veto this, but it says that he can he can still close the stadium if needed to. So he might, he might would say, well, let's shut down uh, Appalachian State or something. I might come into Greenville, shut down ECU. You know, uh, I, I don't think I, that's not going to win them too many votes. No, that's what I'm saying. It's the South. Don't mess with college football more than yeah. one, one year. You've had yeah. enough. Don't mess with it a second year. That's the way most people feel. So, uh, Coach Houston, if you're listening, 100% capacity. I, I mean, just think of the football ticket sales. I mean, you know, these these suddenly the Republicans are going to look pretty good. <laughs> and uh, obviously, went 77 to 42. I'm assuming then that uh, some Democrats came over and voted with Republicans. What's what's the break? What's the breakdown? You know? uh, let's see. What is it? Is there 120 in the House? I think that's right. Um, yeah, I think that's that's correct. So uh, our math is so. If my grandson was here, he could immediately tell us. Um, anyway, I was talking about James Carville, and I want to talk about this more maybe later in the week. But um, he was doing a interview with Vox, and basically he was talking in this interview mostly about the fact that. The Democratic Party has lost its way big time and that they don't even know how to talk. I mean, he, he makes the comments that, uh, you know, that Democrats in the, um, you know, faculty lounges of the of high schools and colleges go around and, and they'll use terms like, uh, oh, communities of color. And he says, nobody talks like that. Nobody but but white elitist liberals talk like that. <laughs> he said, you've got to be able to talk to people as they talk, you got to be normal human beings. And he says, and I don't think Democrats barely won the Senate in this last election based on ideas. It was more with messaging failures and bad campaigning on behalf of Republicans and, and, oh, also some funny 2020 election business, but I digress. I, I, I looked at that and I'm thinking, wait, wait a minute. There wasn't any funny, funny election business on the Republican side. Is is this James Carville admitting that there's something really fishy about the way this last election was run? <laughs> You'd have to be an idiot if you didn't know that. Yeah, I mean, really. I mean, but 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 this guy's admitting it. You know, he goes on to talk about how you know this whole woke crowd and this mob mentality to the point. Where every day, hardworking, blue-collar, if there are any of those left in the Democratic Party, they, they don't dare speak up. Because the woke crowd will immediately attack and cancel them. And uh, Carville is saying, guys, this is a formula that you're going to lose and you're going to lose big time. And I will say this, I'm not a James Carville fan, but he put a shellacking when George H.W. Bush in the, uh, was it the 98 election? Yeah, something. <laughs> what year was 92, that? 92. 92 yeah, election. 92. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, um, I, yeah, again, I'm not a James Carville fan, but uh, I think he got this one right. I, to be honest with you, I hope the Democrats don't listen to him because I, I will agree that if we can actually have the next election without any of, as James Carville says, any of this funny business... Uh, I think, I, I know it's a long way away, and I don't want to sound cocky, but I think the, the Democrats are going to be uh, in for a shellacking. We'll see. Hey, our thanks for being with us today, and uh, we'll do it again tomorrow at 5 o'clock. We'll play a little political trivia. Look forward to having you then. We'll see you. Bye-bye, everybody.
Alright, alright.